We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And usually on the front end here, I give a little recap of how the game went. Uh, but both of you guys were there on the ground for that. So I'm going to save that part. And the thing that was sticking with me, Lakers win an absolute classic on Saturday night, was... I was watching that going, I wonder what the last time was where Magic and Larry Bird were great in the same game, or the same time that Wilt and Bill Russell were great in the same game. You guys were there on the floor in a classic for a great LeBron and Steph game. And so, Mike, uh, set the stage for us. Man, that was absolutely amazing to watch. I often lament the intensity of regular season games and the the competitiveness. That was completely on the other end of the scale. Uh, Lakers pull it out, certainly uh, not without some adventures along the way. But talk to me, Mike. That was a, a great game to watch on TV. It was a fantastic game to be at, no doubt. I After the game ended, a friend of mine texted and said, was that a top five Laker game that you've been to? And I had to think for a second. And I was like, well, no, you know, just just including all of the playoff moments. Right. Uh, but then I, I was like, but it's kind of close, you know, certainly for a regular season. It probably is um, top five for a regular season game. You know, one of my the one that probably stands out the most was Kobe's uh, 60 uh, plus at the Garden, uh, that which was my first season. Mm. And just the sort of the. um the way that that evolved and that was, that was one thing, but in terms of a duel and especially to have the duel come between you know, two of the all-time greats and with shared history together, you know, not just sort of two all-time greats that were separate. Um, in fact, I just, I wrote a piece of, about LeBron and Steph uh, for this. Cause there was also a bunch of, there were a bunch of great quotes pregame from Steve yeah. Kerr um, on Steph and LeBron. And then LeBron, I asked LeBron about it after and so there's just all of this going on and we can we can get to that. But the basketball itself, <laughs> I mean, the game, the, the way that the game started out was not just about LeBron and Steph, right? It was about like the Lakers starting lineup, um, it not functioning as once again against this particular matchup and then Vanderbilt coming in and everything clicking. But then it got to the duel, uh, you know, with LeBron and Steph. And it seemed like Steph hit six different daggers. 
And yet there the Lakers were getting up off the mat or or surviving it because they had a three point lead um, at the end of regulation or because they had a three point lead at the end of the first overtime. And uh, they had a three point lead again when Steph hit the three with about five seconds left in double OT before LeBron gets to the hoop. So um, it was a incredible back and forth between the two of them. And they have given us so much just as basketball fans over the years. And I don't know that they could ever repeat this uh, where it literally was the first time the two players that were over the age of 35 um, scored 35 plus points. Um, that had never happened before, um, let alone who they are. So an incredible game. It was fun having Darius there uh, sitting not too far away from me and there for the pre and the post. So I'll, let's kick it to, over to Mr. Bay Area himself. This was a, quite an evening. It was a great night of basketball. Mike mentioned that before the game, Steve Kerr gave some great quotes and comments about LeBron and Steph in general. And he got asked a very pointed question about it can seem repetitive, right? An old hat a little bit to see Steph and LeBron play against each other because it's happened so many times and they've had so many battles against LeBron going back to his time as a Cavalier in all those final series. But he's like, basically like, I don't take it for granted. They're such great players. And he sort of spoke about their evolution as players and how they've maintained in order to stay great was literally one of those comments that happens in pregame where when you looked around the room, everyone was nodding their head in like a very specific way of just like, that's such a great point. And I hadn't really thought of it that way before. So I'll let Mike share that in a minute. But this was the first game that I'd actually gone to where I was there early enough and just happened to be on the court pregame when LeBron did his warmup. And so most times I catch AD or I will catch um, Steph and Clay. Um, I got there early enough where I was watching a lot of the young guys work out, like the first bus crew where it's, it's like JHS and, mm-hmm. and Maxwell Lewis and all of the young guys with all of the coaches out there running shell and doing four-on-four stuff. But I happened to be out there and I caught LeBron. So here comes LeBron. And it's super interesting if, if you've never had a chance to be at a game early enough where you get to see LeBron especially for a national TV game and you see like all of the cameras then start to come out and all of the people start to film him and just taking pictures and him going through his work with with Phil Handy and his general mood and demeanor. He was loose but serious and there was a sense to him that I was just like, oh, I wonder what we're going to get from LeBron tonight. He seems like he's in it. And then, Pete, when the game started, I was just like, oh, my goodness, LeBron is on one today. You could just tell from the very first instances of him touching the ball that he was ready for this one. The jumper was falling, and he looked very into it in terms of what the team was supposed to do on both sides of the ball in order to win this basketball game. And we can get into the details of like the starting lineup stuff. But at the very beginning, I was just like, oh, man, for the Warriors not being a big team, Pete, they are big on the wing and they are big on the Mm -hmm. perimeter. The cat and mouse game of them deploying their big wings on D'Lo and Austin defensively. And then the Lakers trying to counter that with their quickness and their shooting and 
and then how the Lakers were having issues defending them with Wiggins and Kaminga mm-hmm. shooting over the top. This is becoming this great little like game within the game contest of like how these specific teams match up. And they talk about how styles make fights. And I thought this was a great styles make fights game. Absolutely. And LeBron's stat line, uh, the 36 points, career high, 20 rebounds. He tied, he had that, I think, in game four of the Memphis series last year, but never in a regular season game as he had 20 rebounds, had 12 assists as well. And a lot of what uh, filled up that box score was game plan specific, like you're talking about, D, in that with them, we really tried to attack in transition. We really tried to attack out of the post. We saw a lot of, a lot of clay matched up with LeBron and the, but the pushing the ball in transition, I thought was super important. Uh, and that's, I think one of the things that we've done best over the last couple of years is beat teams that are smaller than us by really leveraging our advantage in the paint. And LeBron really led that. Uh, I think his first or second uh, basket of the game, Steph got switched onto him and he hit a little jumper at, at the uh, over the top of him. Ran some ball screen stuff with, uh, with Austin where he's picking and popping. But a lot of it was happening from the post. A lot of LeBron's best work was happening out of the post. And so you guys remember how I've been I've been begging for a post play the last couple of years uh, as as a real uh, center, central piece of our offense. And we're doing it now more than ever between LeBron and AD. And I thought LeBron in particular, just the way he was able to pass and score out of the post, Mike, was just really essential toward toward getting the win. And so talk to me about what about what you saw, Mike. That was definitely one of those games that he had circled on his calendar. Uh, I love the idea of rival, rivalry week, by the way, uh, or rivals week, as the NBA uh, did. There were a couple teams can't believe philly freaking benched everyone um but I, I love that they did that and they certainly lived up to that billing and so mike we saw the best of lebron and in a way that uh that he hasn't been as much lately in this stretch in this january stretch and so talk to me uh, lebron specifically what'd you see philly just took a big dump on rivalry week and just left a steaming pile and then all of a sudden <laughs> the lakers completely lebron and steph yeah just totally saved, uh, saved it uh, for everybody with this all-time performance, double overtime, right? Everybody watching uh, Mike Breen and Doris Burke on the main broadcast. Uh, so it was, thank you once again to LeBron and Steph, right? Who have been consist- consistently delivering for many, many years um, after Philly decided to bench their entire team. I I was, um, I was struck by like the same thing that Darius said. There are certain times when LeBron enters the building and I felt the same way about Kobe or any any of the all-time greats that, that you just know that they are bringing their best game. And on a, on a certain occasion, they might not have an efficient night, but everything else is going to be there. And in this case, it was both. Like LeBron was 14 for 25. And he hit a lot of tough jump shots, too. It wasn't just finishes at the rim. It, he was in fadeaways. Um, he really had it all working. He got to the free throw line six times, uh, which wasn't a ton. Uh, although, you know, I think Golden State would say that it was relative to how much they got there. But again, <laughs> jump shooting team, uh, right? Uh, Steph took 35 shots mm-hmm. and in the, the stress that it, that it, uh, that it puts upon an opponent when Steph, when the ball releases from Steph Curry's hand that many times, and especially 21 times for three. But so for LeBron, like when he plays with this level of effort and connectiveness and the rebounding and all of that, the Lakers rarely lose. The only time that I've seen it really uh, in the last couple of years is against Denver when LeBron did pull on his A game like this and doing everything that he could. And it just wasn't quite enough for Jokic and for that team. 
But it's happened this year and other times. It happened at OKC, which was the Lakers' last good road win. Um, it happened at home against the Clippers. And usually like when LeBron calls upon this, he's able to bring everybody else with him. And the complicating factor on this evening, even once the Lakers got the lineup situation right, was Anthony Davis had the hip spasm thing mm-hmm. go again. And that, you know, that looked really rough at first where he could barely walk off the court. Then he comes back and he's able to play and still make a difference. But the thing that separated the Lakers from the Warriors last year was that AD was able to switch over onto Steph and at least give him problems. Mm-hmm. And with the way that he was moving, he could not uh, do so. And that was why Steph can't, you know, kept being able to come back um, and hit his shots. But that that is my main takeaway. Like the Lakers can still be this dangerous when LeBron calls upon this game, but it's uh, it's it's tough for him to do that every game. Uh, and this is the theme that we've been talking about all season. Let's go to break here. I want to change topics a little bit off of Steph and LeBron as like the highlight guys and move to a couple of the other performances that I thought were just critical in terms of the Lakers getting this win. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pete, so I've got a post that I think is going to run hopefully on Silver Screen and Roll today, and it's called The Audacity of D'Angelo Russell. And <laughs> That three? <laughs> yeah, the three, but what just in general, it wasn't just the three, Pete. It was the four possessions previous to that that led to the three. And yep. so there's less than a minute left, and D'Lo gets a log outlet from, uh, I think it was Jared Vanderbilt. And... As he's getting the outlet, he has to turn around to get the outlet. And LeBron, he can see LeBron starting to get into a full sprint coming up the right sideline. And then D'Lo looks up and he sees, I think, Draymond Green and uh, Pajemski getting back in transition defense. So D'Lo's crossing half court and, and the Lakers posted a great angle 
of this, the Lakers social account on uh, Twitter, where you see him and he's kind of got this like (laughs) smile on his face as he gets the ball. And then he walks in to one of his patented sort of early offense three-pointers. Lakers are down by two, and he shoots his three with under a minute left, and he buries it. That shot in, in and of itself is like just a ballsy onions shot. But Pete, the three possessions before that, or four possessions before yeah. that, he had this ice, like, he tried to create an isolation and shot this kind of like off-balance, really challenged layup that, that missed the next possession. He tries to throw um, a, like he runs a pick and roll. He tries to throw a pass. It gets deflected. I think Vando comes and bats it away. Got so lucky. And it gets to AD and AD sort of hooks Clay Thompson. And this was my view. Clay was so pissed off. He was arguing to the ref, like he hooked me, he hooked me. (laughs) But AD gets a little reverse layup. And then on the next two possessions, Pete, he tries to throw that same pass that just got deflected. Yeah. He throws it again, and it's a clean steal this time. That's the other possession. And then the one before that, he tries that same drive that he had just done before that went nowhere for the layup, but he can't even get a layup off and throws the ball away. And so it's missed shot, near turnover, turnover, turnover. And then he gets this outlet pass and says, ah, you know what? It's my time. I'm just going <laughs> to shoot this three. And Mike said this wonderfully the last time that we recorded that D'Lo's been on one in terms of his January and he's been great. And I think a bigger picture idea is like what's been going on with Vanderbilt, actually. But this version of D'Lo is a difference maker for for the Lakers and his 20, like, his 28 points and how many of those came in the fourth quarter and OT. So these were huge baskets that he was generating offensively in support of LeBron, especially, but even AD with like how limited he was after the injury. And so I just thought this was a great, great, great D'Lo game for the moxie, for the medal that he showed and for the perseverance that he showed after starting three for 10 from the field for the first three quarters. Just D'Lo, I, I can't say enough about him and what he's doing right now. He's such a testament to how much we actually do have control over, right? Like he went out there and, and just has been playing out of his mind in a way that it it is such a game changer for this Lakers team. And his confidence is so essential to that, that continuing to take those shots. First of all, him being in the game in at the end of a close game like that, that's not something that was happening much at the beginning of this season, right? Even when he was playing well, he was often going to the bench and not closing with that with that closing five. Then being able to start poorly and still keep his confidence. And then they were giving him the ball down the stretch, which as you as you mentioned, led to some adventures. But and and that to me is the the we were talking about final bosses the other day. To me, that's the final boss for Delo is oftentimes we'll make whether guys can come through in certain situ- situations or or not a matter of their character or personality or something like that. Golden State had Wiggins on him, and they were they were blitzing, and he was getting high hands deflections. Um, I I once went to a coaching clinic with uh, Bobby Knight was the main speaker, and he was talking about the idea of 
skills. And we often look at it through the lens of shoot, pass, dribble, that those are the main skills. But he was arguing that fakes are the fourth skill that you really want out of a really any position. And his and his point was that you can manipulate the defense with shot fakes, with ball fakes in ways that Delo his last not last challenge, but his most important challenge is how to figure out how to shake those bigger, more athletic defenders to not get those high hands type of deflections. That said, though, the idea that it didn't knock him off of his confidence, he reminds me a lot of uh, in terms of the relationship with LeBron, especially of uh, J.R. Smith. It, I think there's some similarities there in that having that sort of live wire shooter. Uh, we wanted Malik Beasley, I think, to be this last year, that guy that can just let it fly, Mike, and do so with confidence. It's so important to have that sort of pressure release on the perimeter. And for him to take that shot, I'm curious your view of that of that one, Mike, because that was just an, an amazing shot in the context that Darius laid out and really indicative of, I think, the version of D'Lo that's the best for both himself and for this team, which is a confident D'Lo, no, no matter what has happened, he knows he can make the next shot. Yeah, well, just go look at his game log and his three-point totals for the last several games, and this was five more. Five, All five of them come in the second half, and I think it was two in the fourth quarter, two in the double OT, uh, and he was perfect two for two in each of those sessions. So D'Lo's shooting is completely locked in, completely, completely lasered in right now. Where he was struggling, and Darius just referred to this, was the like trying to create space against a bigger athlete that uh, you know just is going to be able to move laterally um, with him. And last season, so first of all, D'Lo was often on the bench, and a lot of times it was Rui that was closing. Rui only played 18 minutes in this one. He was four for four um, from the field <sighs> and had 11 points. Like I, I, I actually thought that maybe there would have been a chance to get. Rui in um, late just to create another advantage and so so that he could shoot over the top um, against those tough settings. And, and this is going to be, to me, interesting moving forward because if you have both Austin and D'Lo out there, what you'd usually have, though, is an Anthony Davis that you can run stuff through. That wasn't the case. LeBron was certainly creating that advantage, and that's why that's why he's LeBron. Like No matter what's happening, LeBron can always usually find a way to get you a good shot um, in the half court, even if he has to take it himself. So but for Russell to hit that type of shot, that that just goes to show kind of the mindset that he's in right now and the confidence level. Um, but I still I still do think that there are some there are some questions about what's the optimal way to use this group. Sure. How much to use Vanderbilt? How much to use Rui? Um, when should Torrey and Prince play? That the Lakers still haven't really gotten optimized uh, by this point, and that would be sort of one of the concerns. But it, it, just for the purposes of this game, that Russell was able to hit that shot, that alone shows you the the progress that he's sort of made mentally um, with what his spot is on the team. And that's certainly significant. I think it is significant, Mike. I also think it's significant the way that Jared Vanderbilt's been playing. I don't want to pivot too quickly from D'Lo, but Pete, I'm super interested to hear this time it was me that was sort of behind the basket and didn't always have like the optimized view of what's going on. They weren't showing all of the replays in the arena. And so we got some of that, but not all of it. Vando, though, another super well-rounded game, 40, close to 41 minutes. Uh, plus, I think in the final box, I, it was either plus 30 or plus 29, just 30. The Lakers. So the Lakers won their minutes with Vando on the court again, Pete. And it was another like close to first half with Vando and another like run to help 
give the Lakers an advantage. And then down the stretch of the fourth quarter and through both of the double overtimes, it was Vanderbilt that was on the court instead of Prince. And what are you making of Vanderbilt's full form as a player that he's showing now? I think we highlight what he's doing offensively and how the Lakers are trying to um, manipulate spacing and create cutting angles and and um, dive angles for him as an off-ball player. But I'm loving all of the work that he continues to do defensively and on the backboards and how he's jumping passing lanes, how he's helping to protect the rim. There's just a lot there that Vanderbilt is doing to fill in the cracks for a team that needs all of those things, whether he's starting or coming off of the bench. Talk to me about Jared Vanderbilt. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk some Vando. So I'm most excited about the offensive end, but I will put that to the side uh, in, in the spirit of your question. I just think that the offensive stuff is probably one of the most significant on-court developments this season with anybody because the only argument against Vando was the offensive spacing, right? And how he can make things kind of dunked up on the offensive end for LeBron and AD. With the way that he's operating and the way we're operating out of the post, how often are you seeing him take these open corner threes where the defense is just like, ah, that's fine if you take that shot. And so, sorry, just wanted to get that out of the way. Really, really excited about that. Defensively though, that's the reason why it's so exciting to see him producing on the offensive end. He is such a playmaker defensively. And that's one of the hidden aspects, I think, of this this year's team that we haven't gotten to see as much. Because if you look at the best perimeter defenders on the roster, you're talking, uh, you're talking Vando, Cam Reddish, Gabe Vincent are the top three guys. And all three have been pretty significantly hurt throughout the season. And so we haven't entirely gotten to see the version that's able to play ball denial and ball pressure that's able to fight over the top of screens, not play as much of that containment defense as we've been seeing uh, just due to not having the bodies for that. That said, Vando's ability to not just create the defense, but it's a lot of defense to offense type of possessions, Mike. And really the best version of this Lakers team, I think, is going to be that really athletic team. And the more you can get out into transition, and that was such a big part of this Warriors game, but will also be, I think, a big part of the Houston game and and the Atlanta game is the ability to get out into transition off of your defense. And so Vando's ball denial, the the pressure he's able, he's able to put on the perimeter while also being able to help on the boards, that allows AD, even though, like you said, he was hobbled, he can switch out more onto the perimeter. We can get rebounds. LeBron was obviously amazing in that aspect. We could have talked for 20 minutes on LeBron's uh, rebounding, but Vando just, Mike, that that plus 30 is, uh, it's not a coincidence. He's helping in a multitude of aspects of the game right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a Vanderbilt point that we haven't been discussing all season uh, and and sort of why he fits and why he fits well with that group. The thing that's to me that's changed the most this year is that he's figured out when and where to cut and when and where to attack on the offensive end when teams are completely not guarding him. That I don't think was happening as much last season because in the regular season, once the Lakers got Vanderbilt, opponents weren't just doing the complete sellout um, as much and he was able to space to the corner and they just ran their offense anyway and they were winning a lot of games. Even, you know, once the first two rounds got there, though, and he started to get that treatment, especially against Denver there, I think that's a tough part to just 
hey, let me let me try this. Okay, if I if I drive the if I drive this close out right or not this close if I, if I drive to the basket right now when my guy is completely over defending LeBron James or Anthony Davis, you know, am I going to get the ball? So that was what Vanderbilt told me. He's been watching a lot of film this year, and you know, once he got back to playing and his minutes were limited, teams were still giving him that treatment. So then he was watching that, and then he started to experiment some. Well, what if I cut to the hoop at this point? And mm. that being unlocked now is there's this whole idea, I think, about the spacing. And, okay, there needs to be a certain amount of spacing around LeBron and AD. And it's harder to get that if you have a non-shooter or at least a player that's not going to be respected. We all get that. But when when Vanderbilt has now – he has a solution for that. And we're seeing the results by him scoring in double figures basically every night now. What is it, four out of the last five? Then I think that tells us something about, uh, like about not, forget the forget the defense and all all that he has there, which is obvious, uh, and that's better than anybody else that's going to be there on the roster. But what he's able to now bring offensively, when you when you have Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and a LeBron James who's shooting the ball well, that seems to be plenty of spacing uh, for for like what actually is functionally happening on the offensive side of the court. So that to me is the evolution and that's good news. It's why it's the best lineup. And the question is just how much they're going to use it and when um, it, it still doesn't look like that's going to, that's going to be the starting lineup. It, it does seem like that's been pretty firm, but it is, it needs to be playing a lot. And that was one thing I think that, that should be acknowledged. Like he 41 minutes, I'm pretty sure is his career high or he thought so <laughs> when he's as a, I don't know if I've ever played 41 minutes before. And, um, Obviously, the overtimes are part of it, but take out the overtimes, and that's still thirty-one. And so that's starters' minutes, you know, even if he even if he wasn't on the court uh, for the first quarter and the third quarter with the group. One of the big reasons why that game went to overtime and double overtime because we got freaking smoked by twenty points in the first half of the third quarter. You got forty-eight minutes on LeBron's legs and AD's legs for a lineup that over and over and over again produces at like break even with LeBron and AD on the floor. The group that's starting has a negative net rating over the course of over 200 minutes. But it's really hard to get to negative lineups with LeBron and AD on the floor. And we're making things so much harder on ourselves than it has to be by continuing to go with the lineup with Austin, D'Lo, and Prince. I'm sorry, I had to get that out of the way, D, because that that started that third quarter gave the Lakers an uphill battle that they had to get out of. Well, it's not just that, but it's like even at the start of games, so I was watching football a little bit over the weekend. Football games, especially these high leverage playoff games, the first offensive drive is always scripted, right? And so you have this script of like, the expectation is like, we're going to go get points here. And when you actually don't get points there, it sort of throws off your whole equilibrium as a team. And even if it's 0-0 still, you, you sort of feel like, oh man, we, we let one go here. A little bit and now the other team gets gets the ball and suddenly you're down whatever seven nothing three nothing and it's like you almost always feel like you're 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 playing out of a hole the lakers don't always lose that first shift right the the opening game shift they don't always lose that shift but if they are even after six minutes when LeBron first goes to, to the bench or up by two or down by two. It's very rare that they're the team that is up by six, eight, ten points. But they have certainly found themselves more often being the team that is down six, eight, ten points and having to climb out of a hole. And the 
oh, we lost 25 to five in those first six minutes. Those things are not as common, but they are common enough where there needs to be a reevaluation of whether or not this is the group that can actually do it for the long term. And Darwin got asked about this post game in a very pointed question. Yeah. Right. And and he sort of dodged it. And it's just like, I get it. You don't want to necessarily have to speak to that right after a game, particularly after a game that you won and a game that was thrilling and where your emotional state is about things. But when the adrenaline does go away and you can start to look at things with more clear eyes, there is a sense of, all right, well, what is the best solution here? An interesting thing between last season and this season is what you brought up within the context of what Vando's doing as a cutter. But that is also within the context of the shifts that the Lakers have made offensively in terms of their spacing. And so I don't want to like over-exaggerate the importance of this, but when you play four-out spacing, Vando is either... Like he's going to spend so much more time in the dunker spot and it is going to cramp the floor, especially for driving lanes for LeBron and AD. And even for pick and roll stuff, they're just going to there's going to be an extra defender there way more often. And the Warriors were doing a pretty good job of shrinking the floor and they were trying to guard Vando with Steph. But even then he was like getting to the offensive glass and tapping balls around. There is still stuff that he's doing effectively. And I think that for all the potential of like this has a ceiling on it offensively, I think that's still true to a certain extent. But the way that they can manipulate that spacing and use it against teams and leverage Vanderbilt's athleticism and his physical ability to find the cracks and crevices. And then his finishing around the basket on the types of cuts that he's getting where he has more of a runway to try to finish. These are all little tweaks that are advantaging the Lakers now rather than disadvantaging them. And I'm hopeful that as this lineup continues to play together, that they continue to show that they can win the minutes that they're playing together to the extent and to a level that means that ultimately they are the starting group. That's what I hope to see. A few minutes ago, I was talking about Vanderbilt's utility on offense and how that's gone up. And, and that's been a major improvement. I was arguing this off season before all that, that he should start anyway, you know, just because of, because the way that he energizes specifically LeBron and AD and to Pete's point early in this pod about the transition game and how important that is and how LeBron has become such a savant. Um, he's always been, of course, the best in, in the league in transition, but he is now like at his age, he knows that he can still go north south um, yep. like a train. It's a little bit harder once a defense is set in the half court for LeBron to get going um, from point A to point B and to get all the way to the rim. He still does it, still does it better than almost anybody else. But when he knows like how how fluid um, he can still be and Vanderbilt is the player above anyone else on the roster that can ignite that the most um, for just for all of his activity and what he the pressure that he puts on an opposing offense. So to me, that even take out his offensive utility that has outweighed just the the raw nature of having a spacer, um, somebody outside uh, to to make the floor balanced in a certain way. And I think that largely the plus minus numbers of, of the lineups have sort of borne that out. Um, as have the eye test, and that's kind of become 
increasingly clear, but I still don't know that we're going to get to that in, in the game in Houston um, to start. But clearly it is being it's, it's becoming impossible not to have that group at least play together more um, as as we saw in Golden State. So I'm Pete, I'm not you know where I stand on what uh, where I think that should be. I'm just I'm not sure that it's going to happen in terms of the switch of the of a starting lineup. Um, but that like when when you it, my guess is the Torian Prince will be out there. Um, and it's not just about Prince. It's about Prince, Reeves and Russell. And that to me yes. is where like you're losing the athleticism um, battle to a lot of these teams. And certainly when Golden State put Kaminga in Wiggins in the lineup together. Um, as opposed to what they used to. And, and so that was going to happen, um, and especially in the third quarter. And I think it's going to keep happening to an extent, but that does does seem to be where uh, things are at right now. Well, then they're going to keep putting undue burden on their stars, right? It's going to be, did you see, I'm sure you guys saw how exhausted AD looked at the end of that game. Big part of that, of course, is the the injury that he had, but so is playing a double overtime in which you played the last, what did he play the last, like, 20 minutes of that game at, at, at least. And so that's going to happen as a result of that. And here's the thing, some numbers. This is with LeBron, AD, D'Lo, and Austin on the floor. In terms of net rating, number one, Rui Hachimura plus 37.5 when he's with that quartet, but only in 16 minutes. Number two, Jared Vanderbilt plus 30.3 in 30 minutes. Number three, Christian Wood plus 22.3 but only 10 minutes. How overall are those lineups just a plus 1.9 in 343 minutes? It's because the vast majority of them have gone to Torian Prince. Minus 0.8 in 211 minutes. Cam Reddish has a minus 11 in 51 minutes. Max Christie minus 21.2 in 23 minutes. If you look at that, the big people, Rui, Jared, and Wood are all plus 20 and above. The smaller players, Torian Prince, Cam Reddish, Max Christie are all negatives. And then with Cam and Max, it's it's especially severe. And so this is a huge lost opportunity. If you're not winning your LeBron and AD minutes, especially your starters minutes, you're going to be unnecessarily battling uphill. So, sorry, I just had to say my piece on that at the end. It's clear. Yeah, it's it's very, it's been obvious all year. No, There's no doubt, Pete, you're right. Well, there's raw plus minus data to Pete that goes beyond the lineup data too, right? And so there's only four Lakers that currently have a raw plus minus of positive double digits or more. They're D'Angelo Russell, who leads the team, Rui, LeBron, and Vanderbilt. Yeah. So it's like Vando and Rui, the Lakers are winning their minutes. They are. When they those guys more. are on the court. And Vando so they should, more, play, yeah, they should be playing more. LeBron can't play more. And D'Lo... This version of D'Lo is now like a 30 to 35 minute player who is closing more games than he's not. And so if these are the guys who are going to play, complimenting them is super important. So I am very hopeful that they get to these lineups more and more because these are the lineups that have been proven over the course of more than half a season now that are working better. It's been five seasons with LeBron and AD on the floor. The guys who work next to them are always the same guys. It's the guys who can competently space the floor in some manner or another are like six, eight and above and have some degree of athletic gifts, right? And so we're talking Kuz, Keefe, JaVale and Dwight space the floor in a different way. Although with LeBron and AD, those groups actually did not perform as well when all three were on the floor, right? But the guy, the, the Kuzes, the Ruiz, it's 
it's always the same types of guys. And so we can keep making it harder on ourselves or we can get some momentum. Hopefully we can keep building on it tonight. We've got a back-to-back starting in Houston. We will be back to tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Eck to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.